0: Reading through this book, we've been learning that God has an issue in Israel with uh, the faithfulness of Israel and how Israel had not been faithful to him. And uh, as a prophetic sign, he has Hosea go and marry a prostitute and uh, they have children together. uh, And she wanders away and he brings her back again. uh, And just uh, all a sign of Israel. And there's many things that he has to say. And we've not been really looking at this in terms of a verse-by-verse study, but just looking at some of the themes, and we'll continue that uh, here today as we read chapters 5 and 6. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know, Ephraim, And Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth-Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, And like a young lion to the house of Judah, I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam they transgress the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evil doers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. And so often what happens today in in our world is that we kind of assume what people want and what people like. Uh, We were, uh, Karen and I were were walking around uh, looking at different shops uh, the other day and and we just noticed how everybody is is saying, well, this is what you want, this is what you like. Uh, And the whole idea is to try to sell people in thinking what they like uh, rather than what they might really like. And uh, it, it's a bit like a situation where you can imagine uh, if, uh, if my wife really disliked olives and disliked anchovies and, and uh, disliked mushrooms. Uh, she likes mushrooms and anchovies and those kinds of things. But imagine she disliked all those things very intensely. And I decided one day that I'd go out and I would buy her a pizza uh, covered with mushrooms, olives, and anchovies. Now, if she doesn't like mushrooms and olives and anchovies, and say that I decided to do this for Valentine's Day. That's what this, this, uh, this past week was all about, Valentine's Day. So I decided to do this for Valentine's Day. So I get her a heart-shaped pizza that's filled with anchovies and mushrooms and olives that she really, really doesn't like. And I bring it to her and I say, here you are, happy Valentine's Day. Oh, I love you very, very much. Now, if I did that, she would figure out a couple of things rather quickly. One, if I happened to like mushrooms, olives, and anchovies, uh, and she didn't, she would discover that, that I tend to like me a lot more than I love her. But she would also discover that I don't know her very well, And she would also begin to feel that maybe I didn't really love her all that much, especially if she has told me many, many different times that she didn't like mushrooms and olives and anchovies. So you can imagine my, my efforts to make her happy, my efforts to please her, my efforts to satisfy her, my efforts to show her my love would do exactly the opposite kind of thing. Well, in a sense, that's a situation that uh, Israel and Ephraim uh, found itself in in the day of Hosea. They had gone on for so long doing what they thought that God might want them to do, doing what they thought that God might like them to do, or just doing what they thought they would like to do and what would please themselves, that they had come to a point in time where they no longer knew the Lord. And we looked at that a little bit last week, And how it was for lack of knowledge that the people of Israel were being destroyed. And that idea of knowledge is not data about God that God was after. It's not information, little bits of data that tend to stand out for us and see. But it's actually a real deep knowing of God that God was after. And so the people were trying to honor God in a way that ultimately God looked at that and said, well, you're not being faithful to me. You're being faithless. Even if you think that you're honoring me, even if you think you're bringing your sacrifices to me, you know, even if you think you're bringing burnt offerings to me, even if you think you're doing all the stuff that you should be doing, actually, in the end, you're not really doing what I really, really want you to do. And because you're not doing what I really want you to do, you're not actually keeping my commands and my covenants. And so I look at this and I say, you're being faithless. You're not being faithful. You're not being faithful. And I think we find ourselves in many respects, particularly in the Western church, which I know better than the church in Africa or South America or or, or Asia, for example, But I think we find ourselves in a season where in many churches across the West, and certainly in many denominations, you have people who every Sunday are coming to service. Every Sunday they're given money in the collection plate. Every Sunday they listen to some kind of sermon. Uh, Every Sunday they sing a few hymns and things like that. Uh, Every week they, they give, you know, maybe say grace at meals and things like that. But fundamentally people are ending up creating an image of God that has more to do with their own wish fulfillment, more to do with their own understanding or wishes about what God should be or what they would like God to be like, than it has to do with God, the God who is actually and genuinely revealed in the Bible. And you certainly see that in many of the discussions that happen and have happened over the last decade around the atonement and the idea that Jesus died on the cross for us and that somehow Jesus' death on the cross was both the choice of Jesus and the will of the Father. And many people have struggled with the idea that God would actually send his only begotten son to die on the cross, that Jesus would actually willingly die on the cross and that the horrible cross would be necessary for our salvation. I was just reading where recently at uh, some university in theological studies, I think it was up in Scotland, perhaps in Glasgow, uh, where uh, the faculty gave a trigger warning about discussions about the crucifixion because it was going to be you know, so gruesome and, and so dark that uh, they had to warn people, as if Christians themselves don't really know what it's about, but we've tended to airbrush the crucifixion. We've tended to airbrush many facts of the Christian life. We tend to hear people talk a lot more in, uh, in churches about the joys of being a Christian, and there are quite many joys, and the pleasures of being Christians and the benefits of being Christians, rather than what one of the things that the Bible actually promises us as Christians is that we might suffer and that there will be suffering And that indeed, to a degree, suffering is necessary. And the idea even that God might cause us to suffer, that he might cause us pain, becomes an affront to many people across the body of Christ. And yet we read right here in Hosea, And you notice at this place in in chapter 6 how how the voice changes from God to Hosea's voice uh, imploring the people. He says, come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. And in fact he goes on, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. So in this moment, Hosea is doing two things. One, he's reminding us that there is suffering in our lives as believers. That we have a God that works in mysterious ways and a God that oftentimes works in ways that are greater than our understanding. And in a sense, Hosea is pointing forward. He's giving a prophecy to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And certainly, all of the the New Testament Christians would have understood this passage in that reality that is pointing ahead, it's pointing forward to Jesus. And the reality that ultimately, even though in that moment, yes, God was going to strike the Israelites with uh, conquest and exile because of their faithfulness, that at the same time there was going to come a time when God would even allow his own son to offer himself up as a sacrifice to die on the cross and rise again so that God could restore not only Jesus to life on the third day, but all of God's people through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see here in this moment in Hosea that we serve a God, that we follow a God, Who's much bigger, much broader than we could possibly ever fully understand with our minds. And it also, these passages are cautioning us against creating an image of God in our minds that we don't seek to verify, verify, verify with the revelation of God, who He is, His will, in this book that we call the Bible. And it's a challenge for us. And it's a challenge that is faced by many people in the world today who are wondering after, thinking that they're a Christian, they're wondering after a God of their own mind, a God of their own creation, and not the God of the Bible, the one creator God of the universe who desires a relationship with us. And so what is the antidote to this? How do we deal with this according to Hosea? What is the Hosea even today speaking down through the ages and calling us to as the people of God today that might find ourselves in a situation that in some respects is very similar to what the people in Hosea's day were facing? It's right there in that wonderful verse. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as showers as the spring rains that water the earth. First, Hosea is calling us to press on to really have an intimate knowledge of who God is. And God wants us to have this knowledge. That's what Hosea is telling us. He's saying if we press on to know the Lord, if we make the effort, if we press in, if we seek to go deeper with God, if we seek to draw closer with God, God wants us to know Him. God wants us to have that relationship. And as we press in to know the Lord, we can be assured that we will meet God, that we will get to know God as the dawn will come, as the rains will come. We can be that confident. We can be that certain that we can know the Lord, that God desires us to know Him. And indeed, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the vehicle by which God enables us to get to know Him, to come into an unhindered relationship with Him yet again, having our sins washed away and cleansed. So Hosea challenges us to really press on to know the Lord, to to not give up. It takes work, it takes effort. Now, one of the amazing things about being married for almost 32 years now is that you learn new things all the time. Now, just as even in, in the much more than 32 years, I have 40 years, 42 years now that I've known Karen, even the 42 years now that, that I've known my wife, there's still more to learn. There's still more to get to know. And if that's the case with my own wife, so much more is that the case with God. So we have to press in. We have to make an effort to get to know him. But Hosea also gives us a clue. Actually, the Lord's speaking through Hosea. He reminds us of what he really values. If you look down there in verse 6, God says, hey, if you want to get to know me, you need to know this. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. This word steadfast love means faithfulness to the covenant that God has made with us. A faithfulness, a lifelong faithfulness that doesn't change, that, that doesn't uh, wane, that continues. And that God wants this steadfast love from us, not really our sacrifices. God's reminding us that the money that we give is not really all that important That the time we take to come to church, the services we do and things like that, that's not really, it's it's not a bad thing. He didn't say the sacrifices were bad, but actually what he wants is our love. What he wants is that relationship. And he wants knowing him, the intimate knowledge of God. He wants us to know him more than he wants our offerings. He wants to have relationship with us more than he wants to have our service, more than he wants to have our words. He wants us. And Jesus is the sign of that and the promise of that. So let us listen to Hosea and press on to know the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. It is extraordinary to me. Extraordinary to me. How much you want us to know you. And how much you value an intimate knowledge with you. And steadfast love. More than our sacrifices. More than our acts of service. More than anything we might say or do. You want us. And that's amazing. And you made it possible through your son Jesus Christ. And his death and resurrection. Just as you tore Jesus, you healed him. And just as from time to time we might feel torn and broken, you will heal us. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to press on to know you. Help us to press on to know you. For we love you, we praise you, we worship and adore you, and we thank you for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.